2: We
3: talk about food, we talk about music, with
2: musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes. Hello welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. This week, we are heading to Highland Park to sit down with chef and partner of highly likely Kat Turner. We chat about her time as a private chef. She shares an incredible story about doing laundry for the Smashing Pumpkins in Tokyo. And we talk about the community she has built in her two cafes in L.A. And then we keep up our Philadelphia heater run as we dip into the archive to chat with Mike McGinnis, who plays guitar in Rid of Me and runs Knife Hit Records. He chatted with us about the pandemic's influence on their latest EP their future plans for shows, and what goes into selecting the perfect cover song. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HRN. Kat, welcome to Snacky Tunes. So happy for you to make the time and sit down with us. I feel, well, I'll just say, I feel so happy that you opened up close to me in Highland Park because I've been using it as like a third space office. So thank you for that at the very top.
1: It was all for you, Darren.
2: Oh, thank you. Yes, of course. I I saw the business plan and it makes total sense. Just how does it all affect me? Um, Exactly. I'm glad we got to do this. I know you were just in New York, and I always have to ask, where did you eat? What did you hit? Were there places that you that you go back to every time you go to the city that's just your standard bearer?
1: Oh, man. Well, the funny thing about this trip to New York is that I basically didn't go anywhere. Mm. Um, I... Yeah, did I? I mean, it's like, it's honestly such a blur. I went to, I was there filming, um, I was there filming Chopped and they really like, they fly you in, they toss you in a hotel, you're filming, filming, filming. And then it's like, you know, right back to LA. I went to a spot in, my, my business partner, Alex, was... Coincidentally, in New York at the same time, and we met at a, like, Mexican restaurant in Greenpoint that I just honestly can't remember the name of, but but it was Those good. Toros, this was maybe? This wasn't, like, huh?
2: Those Toros, or, I'm trying to remember what's over there. That's what now is up there. Hold on, I can tell you. But it's in and out. I mean, the great thing about going to New York now is that so much stuff can also be delivered to a hotel room. Or yeah. to your house in a uh doordash up mark at uh, maybe lower quality than if you eat there but you can totally. get whatever you want
1: totally ok moco oksamoco
2: wow a new cool. spot it
1: like a, yeah it's cool yeah splashy 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 modern Mexican it was it was good it was nice just to like come off of a long day of filming and like land in a restaurant and get some delicious tostadas and you know have a glass of something um
2: you know and get style. a little bit then, of that legendary williamsburg green point service right yeah, exactly <laughs> top notch you know it's so funny because because when i i moved from williamsburg to silver lake everyone's like oh silver lake is the williamsburg of la but i feel like highland park has really taken over that role with like the walkability and the closeness and the stores and the restaurants and, and the vibe over there in the community
1: yeah I think I think Highland Park is nipping, um, certainly like nipping at the at the ankles of, you know, Silver Lake. If you look at, you know, Sunset Junction and what they've done with Sunset mm-hmm. over the years. I think that definitely feels kind of Williamsburgy and Highland Park has got, you know, a bit of that kind of green point neighborhoody, a little cosier.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's I I don't know. It's always so interesting when you start looking at New York and L.A., especially like with restaurants, because I always felt that like New York was reliant on like the financial sector and so much like the business people or you know more of like a nightlife crowd. And I feel that L.A. has this relationship with like Hollywood and things like that. And I know that you were in the business before the restaurant business. Do you still feel that that relationship is still there? Like that—that that Hollywood and the restaurant industry in LA really works hand in hand.
1: Definitely, definitely, we see it in different ways. Um, I know a lot of restaurants in Hollywood and the Valley got really smashed by the strike. Still, um, where there's and still, still going. yeah, where there's yeah. such a huge, um, you know, pool of of people in the entertainment industry. Um, I wouldn't say that we suffered to. Badly, um, West Adams and you know Highland Park, I think, are a little less dense um, mm-hmm. for industry folks. But as far as people, you know, using it as a as a third space, as a working space, I mean, there's there's always somebody there writing a script. <laughs> and you know, at this point, it's like it could be like Greta Gerwig or J.J. Abrams. I'm like stunned at the people that walk in the door. <laughs>
2: Oh, I mean the. I was camped out there for a few hours, and next to me was the most Hollywood development conversation. It felt I was like, "Where's the cameras? Like, is this really yeah. what people are talking about here?" But it's just, I mean, it's a comfortable spot. Um, you know, just we get less nice of, get that. of Yeah,
1: we get less of that in West Adams.
2: Oh uh, yeah, no Highland of, Park is like yeah
1: yeah. It's a little different in Highland Park.
2: Um, you know, I know that you used to be more in the Hollywood scene, and now you're obviously in the food scene. What what drew you from you know in front of the camera to like back a house in the kitchen, being a chef?
1: Yeah. Well, in 2008, uh, we had a big writer strike and a big financial crisis, and mm-hmm. uh, with the housing market, everything and. At that time, I was working as an actress, I was a burlesque performer, I was working as a shop girl at um, Agent Provocateur. I um, I mean I was I was hustling around doing a bunch of different things. Um, but I also started working at my friend's restaurant in Silver Lake, a little vegan spot called Flore. Um, mm. that just just closed recently. Yeah. I had a had a hell of a run. And
3: Great
1: run. yeah, and I started cooking there part-time and I realized that I really loved I loved cooking and at that point I was already 29 and I thought well I I don't want to be a line cook and I don't want to have my own restaurant but I think I'd be a great private chef you know because I Mm. knew already so many people in the you know entertainment music industry it's like oh this could be a good transition for me And so I went to culinary school in uh, New York in 2008. And when I got done with that, I moved back to LA. I worked at Blue Hill for a little bit for free for four months.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Those times have sort of changed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Back when
1: when it was an honor to, um, to do that kind of work and, uh, and not get paid for it. And, um, and I came back and I started working as a private chef for Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins, and and went on tour and did that for a couple of years, and it was awesome. And that kind of launched my career as a as a private chef.
2: I uh, what story can you share from the road with that? With obviously not getting yourself in trouble and who knows how long those NDAs yeah. actually last. Well,
1: it's, yeah, yeah, totally. Well, one of my favorite memories. Um, was when they toured in Japan and
3: Mm.
1: I was begging Billy to take me with him because I had never been to Japan, never been to Tokyo. And he said, you know, we don't really have it in the budget to bring a chef and I don't really need to bring a chef to Japan. He said, but (laughs) if you can also help us do wardrobe, because I was also a wardrobe stylist in the past. And he said, if you can help us with the wardrobe, um, we'll bring you with uh, you know, we'll pay for the flight and we'll pay for the hotel, but we can't pay you to be there, but you can come along. And I was like thrilled at this. I was like, Oh my God, I might never get the chance to go to Japan again and hear right. being flown there and being put up in a beautiful hotel. So we go. And um, that first morning uh, I got saddled with these two giant bags of laundry from the show from the night before. Stop. And, I had to go find a laundry mat in Tokyo. And we were staying at the at the Conrad Hotel and and I got into a taxi cab. The front desk had given me the address for like a coin laundry, and I was able to exchange some yen and get some coins. And this <laughs> taxi driver <laughs> drops me off at this coin laundry place in a neighborhood where there's just like normal people doing their laundry. Yeah. Two big, like laundry bags. And I'm like, whatever, this is what you do. You figure it out. And so I put in a, I figured out, I had to have somebody help me, but I figured it out and got the laundry going. And to kill time, I just went to go walk around the neighborhood. And what I didn't realize is that he had dropped me off at a laundromat right next to the Skeegee Fish Market. Oh and
2: oh my. Yeah.
1: And so it's like 7 a.m. and it's in the middle Stop. of summer. And it's hot. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm literally here. And walked into the fish market and saw just a spot that had a, you know, had a line, and got in line and sat down at this bar and had an ice cold Sapporo and the best sushi of my life. And I just remember just like a tear rolling down my face. Just the, the level of gratitude and that feeling of, you know, when you have something that's so good and you're like, well, clearly I've never had sushi before in my life.
2: Yeah. because When those, you're like, sushi. oh, you know, that's so incredible because it wasn't like you did a ton of research. I mean, you probably knew where you were going, but to just like randomly look up, I feel like that those experiences are so few and far between now because everyone when they travel it's like i'm going here this is all planned out and things like this and here you think you're getting saddled with like hours of laundry yeah. and you're having you're having a meal that people travel the world for just dropped in your lap
1: completely, completely. yeah and then just having the the leisurely stroll through the market and the ability i mean to it's, kind it's of one
2: like, of all time
1: yeah just unbelievable I'd love to know and what then, the
2: band was eating at the time. They probably it, it was a lesser meal than fresh sushi at one of the world's most famous fish markets.
1: They were getting hotel eggs, I'm sure, delivered to the <laughs> room. <laughs> Which has its own perks, you know? I,
2: I, I'm not laughing at it. I'm just saying it's just, yeah. 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 Oh, my God. That's and so incredible.
1: It's incredible. And the funny thing is that I, you know, I remember that. That intense desire to go and that, you know, it felt so, oh my God, like I'll never get to do this again. I'll never get to do this again. This is so cool. And then going on to work for, you know, other people as a private chef. And I was in Japan twice a year for like years and spent Mm. actually an incredible amount of time uh, being able to explore Tokyo after, at Tokyo and Osaka, Okinawa um, and kind of but always reflecting on that first time of like, wow, I thought I'd never be back here again.
2: And, and I'm sure it's incredible. never, you, I'm sure you haven't hit the point where you're like Tokyo again, I roll, right? God,
1: take me now. <laughs> Let's
3: go. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, the biggest piece of advice when, when I went there for the first only time is, is was, you'll be back, because it's so yep. dense. And there's so many layers. And it's, I mean, even more so than any city like New York or LA or Mexico City. That's like spread out. The density of of Tokyo is it's it's unknowable in so many ways. Uh,
1: yeah, it's like a you know an incredible udon shop, and then five stories up, this you know little skinny yes. building is yes. you know this unbelievable like bespoke cocktail bar, or this like Japanese record bar, or you know just or like
2: the best there, pour yeah, over you've ever had.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like the most insane coffee or the best French restaurant you've ever eaten at. Like, it's so yeah. crazy. Um, all
2: right. I want to take a quick break, quick musical break, and then we come back. I want to talk about the opening of Highly Likely, um, okay. the incredible music that you play at the restaurants and more of the community you've built in L.A. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. <laughs>
4: Home in the cold morning, crawling out and calling. Spanish fires are waiting, and the green neglect sand. Son and mother Standing by the wayside Under the moonlight Call me daily Just to exercise my trust We'll see how this sun
2: Welcome back to snacky tunes we are here with cat turner chef and partner at highly likely so obviously you're in this enticing world of private chefdom that i mean i don't know the hours but you know it's it's a decent work-life All balance at times yeah i mean it's it, it's it's a lot of hours but it's different it's a different investment in who you are as a person than owning a restaurant but you have said in the first act you didn't even want to have one. What changed for you? What, what flipped that switch to saying, like, maybe I want to open up a spot. Maybe I don't want to just cook for, for one private person at a time.
1: Yeah. Um, I had made the transition from this kind of myopic world of cooking for one person. Um, in 2015, I started working with summit, um, summit mm. series. Um, mm-hmm. they do, these large scale kind of amazing conferences and I went on a cruise ship with them, summit at sea, and Mm -hmm. it was a real wild ride. Um, went from Mm. learning how to cook for, you know, a small handful of people to 3000 people. And from there, I went, uh, up to Utah where they had a mountain, um, called powder mountain. I was living up there for the season And my business partner, my now business partner, Carrie Mosier, whose family started Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre, Mm -hmm, um, he was there mm -hmm. attending one of the kind of smaller mountain conferences. And I met with him and he said, hey, do you want to open a restaurant in LA? Hmm. And I said, no, no, not really. (laughs) And he said, why? I said, I... I don't really know how to do it. You know, I, yeah. I don't have a ton of restaurant experience. And he just said, look, if you can cook for hundreds of people on top of a mountain in a remote part of Utah, you, you can figure and make out make It taste how to good. Yeah. And yeah. make it taste good. If you can make eggs like this for hundreds of people yeah. uh, on a mountaintop, And he just said, you know, I've done this for the better part of my life. And, everything I know I'll teach you. He said, but I believe that. Yeah. He said, I believe that you're the right fit for us. And um, he said, my Scorpio rising is telling me that you're the right (laughs) fit for us. And, um, and I came back to LA and I, I saw the space and I love, you know, love West Adams and it's conveniently close to my house. I, I live in Koreatown. So, so I took a risk and I, also kind of had this realization that who's ever going to offer me this again?
3: You know, it's kind of like
1: Japan all over again. Like who's ever going to offer me this again? I need to like, I need to take it. I need to figure it out. Like what's the worst thing that happens? You know, it's like,
2: uh, so it's, it's (laughs) do laundry, wind up at the best fish market in the world, go cook on a mountain, get offered the insider track to opening a restaurant in LA. All right. So let me just, I'm just writing a business plan for myself right now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um so you know you have a really great concept um you know uh the morning to afternoon and now you've extended to night in Highland Park but where did you land on this approach to cooking and food and you know it felt it felt pretty dialed in or a clear point of view from the very beginning for a spot that was open for so many hours.
1: Mhm. Thank you um, you know it's funny I don't really have anything to compare it to since I never had a restaurant before this. Sure. Um, it was definitely you know it's a it's a it's a group effort. I have incredible business partners. Um, we work really hard together to bring a collective vision to the table. Um, everybody wanted an all-day spot and you know there are a lot of conversations around what does that feel like? what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, What is the, you know, service model who works there, you know, like, can people be on their laptops? Like what time do we stop having people on their laptops? So it's just this kind of constant evolving conversation, um, around, around service and building community and hospitality. And for me, from the culinary standpoint, um, I mean, I, I say this like a hundred times a day, it feels like, but like, I'm from Wisconsin. <laughs> like yeah. one thing that like, you'll, you'll, you'll hear me say that over and over and over again. I'm from Wisconsin. Um, at the core, like comfort is at my core,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and making people feel good and not alienating anyone with a menu and giving people a restaurant that they can come to, you know, for breakfast and then come back for dinner. And, you know, maybe it's a spot where they come for happy hour with their girlfriends and then Friday night they're on a date or they're bringing their kids to brunch. Um, I I didn't have a ton of restaurants that we went to growing up. I just, I grew up in such a small town, but we did have a, you know, two or three spots that we went to and those were our spots and we still go to those spots. I mean, this is like, you know, 40 plus years of my life of going to the same restaurants. And that's the kind of brand that I want to build. I want to build a brand that like, you know, transcends generations.
2: I mean, you talk about that. Yeah. And you do talk about that as a big inspiration of having a steady stream of regulars, which um, I have found as the restaurants that I've seen that have gone on or live longer than a life of a media cycle is the only way to really survive, um, but it's interesting as a business model. So, how do you marry that idea of catering to regulars while also making it a business?
1: Um, I so wait, so it's clear, so how do I cater to regulars but also make it a business?
2: Yeah, only because you know it's like you got to think about price points, you got to think about people returning, you got to think about like you know. Enticing people to want to come back maybe two three times a week or make it their spot every week. How do you figure that in, especially like costs rises and neighborhoods change and things like that?
1: Yeah, I mean we we have um, I'd say we have a pretty moderately priced menu, mm-hmm. which still kind of feels insane to me. Prices are the the things that have happened to food costs in in the last few years and labor and and everything. It's crazy. Um, yeah. Again, coming from somewhere like Wisconsin, looking at our menu and feeling like it's moderately priced for LA is it's, it's interesting. Um, but, you know, having a, having an affordable menu, having regulars, I mean, regulars are our business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, generating that return, those people that come back every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like we're not, we're getting a lot of unique visits, but we're getting tons of return visits.
3: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm.
1: I think becoming a benchmark of a community is, you know, is the best thing that we've been able to do. I mean, West Adams, it's, it's packed every day and, and it's the same people for the last five years. They just yeah. keep coming back.
2: I mean, it's, it's interesting because West Adams opened pre pandemic and then mm-hmm. um, Highland Park opened post pandemic. And obviously it's an interesting thing because it's um, sometimes people have opened new restaurants, completely new concepts. But you opened similar concepts, same concepts, but in different parts of the city. What did you take from, let's see, pre twenty twenty that was working, and like what did you adapt when you reopened and with the new spot um, to allow both to thrive?
1: Man, yeah, I mean pre pre pandemic and post pandemic. Um, we were pretty lucky. We didn't have to change. We didn't have to change a whole lot. I mean, Mm. we really, we were set up with outdoor seating. We were set up with to go, you know, we Mm. kind of like rode the wave of all of it. I think the biggest thing to come out of that time was that we were able to grow our wine program. Hmm. That was really huge for us. So West Adams, you know, not only is it you know, a really great kind of all day dining spot. We have an incredible bottle shop that our beverage manager, Jose has like curated really, really beautifully. And that was something that grew out of that. And, um, the ability to like knowing that we really want to have patio, that's like a huge part of our, of our brand as well. Like when we look at new places, new spaces around, you know, around the city, it's like, okay, where's the patio, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, And the, the Highland park one's a great patio.
1: Great patio. I mean, that was a parking lot. It's insane when I look at the before. Yeah, that was a parking lot. That was, yeah, that was a parking lot. (laughs) Um, We have incredible, uh, incredible landscape uh, designer back there.
2: Can't even tell. Um, You know, speaking of curation, most of the times uh, when I'm working out of a, a coffee shop or restaurant, headphones are in from the moment I walk in the door I take them out when to order because I don't want to be rude. And then they just go right back on until I leave. I don't think I've ever reached for them working out of um, your restaurant. And that's because the soundtrack has been incredible. So who does the music? How do you pick it? Obviously, and I've had dinner there. So I know there's like a different vibe day to night. Um, But what goes into it? And how do you pick the right right songs to, to match the vibe?
1: Yeah, this is so funny. I was just having a long conversation um, about that because we're in the middle of kind of building, um, uh, you know, vibes like daytime, you know, what's Mm -hmm. the morning? What's the, you know, midday? What's the night vibe? And just making sure that everybody is on the same page as far as like keeping things consistent. Um, I love, I, I love, I love music. I listen to, you know, all kinds of different stuff all day long. And the thing I always tell the team is like, no matter what time of day it is, you know, make it smart, you know, mm. make it smart, make the music, you know, if it's, you know, it could be, you know, something light and jazzy. It could be be something kind of standard, like a Bill Charlap trio or, you know, Astrid Gilberto, but like no follow boy, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, and that's, you know, just like, and that's like, there's I not to say that like follow boy isn't smart, but like, it doesn't like lift me up. It doesn't make me feel like smarter when I listen to it. And I want music to make me feel smarter. I want it to make me feel sexier. I want it to make me curious. I want, but I want it to also kind of like bleed into the background. And every now and then you catch something that you really love and you're like, well, what was that? You know, you grab your Shazam, Um, which should never encroach on, you know, on your personal experience, but it should like uplift you. And at night, it's always got to be, like, it's always got to be sexy. It's always got to be fun, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, even, like, morning jazzy stuff. Like, I I don't want, like, sad boy, sad girl music, you know? I always want it to have a little bit of fun to it, a little bit of, you know, fun, vibe, sexy, smart. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, there's artists that I go to all the time. I, you know, I love... You know, disco, I'm a huge disco fan. Disco at dinner is amazing. Italian disco, like, you know, bands like Jungle, or Parcels, or, mm-hmm. you know, fun, fun stuff like that is really great. Um, you know, lunchtime stuff like Sudan Archives or, um, oh yeah, you know, Fela, Fela Kuti is always, anytime I can not think of, like, what I want to listen to, it's like, put on Fela Kuti radio.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, just put it on, just throw it on. I mean, it's, it yeah, it, it's a good vibe and it's always... Uh, I like the idea. I've never heard of of a playlist being described as make it smart. But that's such a great center to work from. Because, like, look, you can play punk, just be smart in your choice of what it's going to be and the song it's going to be. Hmm. Um, Yeah. You know, the the last time I was in there for dinner uh, was January. Um, I was doing dry January. And what I loved about what was the night was that the music was going, it felt really um, sexy and cool. And then the thought you had put into, you know, like the non-alcoholic listings and like offering different food and cuisine for people who were on their own journey and things like that. Um, and that's not easy because you have X amount of room in the bar, X amount of room in the kitchen. Um, but we all know that like a lot of people are going through changes in the food community and things like that with, with the way that they want to eat and drink. So, how do you find that balance to put up the men you want to put up with, but then also know like the communities that you have in West Adams and then also Highland Park and knowing that like there's been a shifting mindset in the type of offerings that people want when they go to restaurants like yours?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I can't speak too much to the drinks. I mean, I do have some input on our on our bar menu, um, but we've got some really incredible people that have contributed to that and um you know there is such a you know, dry January aside um there are so many people that are you know either refraining from alcohol or you know want to go out and just not drink that night and mm-hmm. you know having something that's just not like a bitters and soda for them is a fun opportunity and As far as the menu goes, I think being a private chef for so long
3: um, Mm.
1: kind of helped with (laughs) the ability to navigate what other people want versus what I want to make. Mm. And so when I am creating dishes, a lot of it is... I mean, there are dishes on the menu that I personally don't like. Um, Just Really? They're just things that I wouldn't necessarily order, but I know that there's somebody out there that is really going to love it right you know so i do cook for i cook for the community as much as i cook for myself
2: huh that's interesting you may be the first person to ever been on the show who admitted they have stuff on their menu that they don't like but it's for the people
1: (laughs) i'm not a kale salad girl but people love my kale salad you know what i mean Um, it's like that kind of
2: thing that kale salad's phenomenal
1: you got to have a kale salad on the menu though, you right? Gotta
2: have, you got to have. I'm sorry, you can't be in LA in this time. I mean, you could go over Dikio now. I've seen that replacing a couple of kale Caesars, but you know. Yeah. That's that's few and far between. I, so
1: I, I love a chicory.
2: Oh yeah. So you um you have the two spots. You're doing a lot of consulting work or you're looking at other places that can have patios. What's the future look like for you or do you feel like you have two kids that you can look after very well
1: oh oh no we're gonna have a we're gonna have my mom had six kids so oh
2: there you go i don't have
1: human children but i could very easily have six restaurants so i think yeah yeah stay stay tuned on that one we are definitely um expansion is, is part of our plan
2: I mean, I know Highland Park is close, but if you want to come to Altadena, we will not say no.
1: <laughs> Mom's a word on that one.
2: Mom's but, a word. But, you know, I mean,
1: we look, I love, you know, I, I you know, I know the guys from John and Vinny is in, you mm-hmm. know, I think they've done a good job of, you know, expanding their brand or, you know, places like Home State, or, you know, Kismet Rotisserie uh, yeah. or, you know, there's, there are people that, you know, you see them popping up and you're like, oh, that's. That's Smart. the next spot to go look at.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like okay. Let me just look. Okay, Brentwood, Playa Vista. Okay, I, I I'm just following the map around the city. Yeah. Uh, well, Kat, I can't thank you enough for making the time. If uh, people want to stop by or or see what's going on, where can they go? How can they get involved with what you're up to?
1: Yeah. Um, well, you can follow us on Instagram um, at it's highly likely, and we are in Highland Park on figueroa and we're in west adams on jefferson
2: amazing and,
1: uh, maybe you know soon soon to be coming to to your neighborhood
2: oh man i've been saying that's forever the,
1: that's a collective that could be, yeah. be Vista, it could be the valley it could be alta dina like we'll see we'll okay. see where we land
2: well i thought we already established that your open restaurants based on my needs and my needs alone so it's just got to be with <laughs> walking distance to my house right
1: I'll put you in touch with our with our uh, lawyer. Yeah,
2: I'll show you the spots. Well, Kat, so great to catch up with you. Congrats on everything. Looking forward to coming out and uh, working out of the restaurant very soon. We have a song from the archives and a live performance here on Stacky Tunes on HRN. Mike, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. We always appreciate another Philly boy being on this (laughs) show.
5: A little taste of home. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
2: Oh, man. My pleasure. Um, Let's just sort of give a little context for people who might not be as familiar with the Philly music scene. Let's go – I don't know. Let's go – Late 2019, early 2020, uh, where was the Philly music scene? What was going on? What was, you you know, um, where was your place in it, both as a record label owner and in a band?
5: Well, so the label was semi, I wouldn't say dormant. I, I was playing in a band that we had just started, I guess maybe the year prior called Lodos. And I kind of resurrected the label to uh, self-release some of the formats for that record. Um, I was mostly, most of my involvement was, I, I was a bartender at Kung Fu Necktie for about eight years. Mm. So that was, you know, that was a big thing. Um, I, I don't, I don't really, I, I was also playing in a band called Plaque Marks, which I don't play in anymore. So I, I, I was active in a lot of ways. Fight Amp was my most active band before that, but we, we broke up in 2016. So,
2: Got it. Um, and the Philly scene as a whole, the community—I mean, it's always been a tight knit community. It's a much—I know Philly seems big, but it really is a small town.
5: It, yeah. It uh, when you're here, it, it feels like a small town. That's for sure. Um, but some, I, I would say, there's a few different scenes that sort of get fractured just by the geography of the city—south, sure. north, and south, north, and west. You know. So, pandemic hits. Um, and I know that the record
2: label was dormant and you were in low dose, but things changed a bit for you with both the band you're in and sort of a reconfiguring of
5: the record label. Talk us through what happened. Well, right before the pandemic hit, low dose sort of naturally was going to take a little hiatus. Um, for an undetermined amount of time. A couple of the members just had to focus on life and work and other projects. And uh, I, Terry and I wanted to stay active. So we just decided to start another band. Um, And this was, I mean, literally maybe December of 2019 or something like that. We rapidly wrote four songs, Hmm. uh, recruited our our old friend, Mike Howard, who was the second drummer of Fight Amp and played in bands like Ladder Devils and stuff like that. And we got it together and, quickly recorded it in the beginning of February of 2020. And then I went on a tour with another band for almost a month and got back right in the beginning of March. And that's like, yeah, that's right. When I I remember sitting at a bar and seeing that the NBA season was canceled and we rid of, so this new band rid of me had a a tour scheduled in May with soul glow. It was like uh, three or four weeks or something. And I I remember uh, my last bartending shift was March, Friday the 13th, Friday, March 13th. And that's when everything just got shut down. And we were just sitting back wondering if it was just going to be one of those, is this going to be two, three weeks or two, three months? And, you know, and then everything just started getting canceled. And that's when we, we you know, we wanted to be an active band. So we had to, you know, uh, reinvent what we were going to do instead of playing shows. So that was right music and release tapes and we brought Ruben from soul glow into the band, which probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. So, yeah, I mean, it's tough
2: to say positive pandemic experience, right? I think it's right. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to glorify it, but if you're a creative person as you are, and you have a life on the road or your life out and about being at home, I don't know, it's force or allows you whichever route you want to take to maybe create and work with people that you wouldn't have had a chance to do so. So do you look back on at least that first year or the first before the first reopening and who knows what's happening now, but uh, as a positive time or a tough time where you were able to create some art,
5: um, how did you approach it? I mean, it's all the above because it was like day to day and I knew I couldn't just sit here and watch TV and drink. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I could, but (laughs) I would lead to some, uh, you know, ultra negativity. So, and uh, not that I didn't do those things. There was a lot of time to kill, Um, but I just, and my bandmates, you know, we had to find ways to move forward, not lose our minds, be creative uh, and use the time that we had to our advantage. Uh, and it was the same with the label. I had it sitting there and I was using it for my own bands. And so, you know, I had this time and why, why not put some of it into another musical endeavor that, you know, branched out beyond my bands. So I love it, it. was positive and, and it was negative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause there were, there were rough days, obviously. I mean, it's a year.
2: Even, even in the best of times, there are rough days yeah, in the year. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, well, yeah,
5: and it's still a bumpy road. So Yeah, it's
2: still a bumpy road. I I think – well, I don't know what to think because I don't know what's happening. You know, we're recording yeah. on, what, the, the 28th of July, and the CDC just said, mask back on. So it's just like,
5: okay. Yeah.
2: All right. Yep. I know. Um. Well, how about this? Let's hear a song, appropriately maybe titled, I Don't Want to. Uh what's the story behind it and
5: uh when did you lay this one down? So this was originally recorded for our we call it our EP. It was a sort of a rush demo session for our first recording. Um it's also going to appear more definitively on our LP, mm. uh which comes which comes out this fall. So we recorded this and the other two live songs for you guys, uh just locally, like in our neighborhood neighborhood here in port richmond um so this is a live version of that song that's going to be on two of our releases
2: awesome well we have i don't wanna buy rid of me here on snacky tunes on hrn.org <laughs> Welcome back. Snacky tunes. That was just, I don't want to live rid of me. We have Mike McGinnis, guitar player in the band and, you know, creating anything during uh, a time like a pandemic, I would say it's probably tough to not have some of those themes or feelings wind up in the music that you're recording. I know that the last EP, um, has a cover in it but also has an original and you're also writing other music did you put any of the experiences and feelings from the pandemic into the new music that you've been writing
5: yeah it was impossible not to right. i mean uh, e- even the the way we were a lot of it was like file trades cuz even we were just staying home alone for a little while in the first couple months there before we started actually getting in a room together again so yeah it just You know, the canvas sort of helped make the painting for sure. Hmm. Any songs that were maybe not even songs, but were there any
2: moments where you went, I would have never done this pre-pandemic. I would have never written this type of song and this type of lyric. But now you're like, you know, I have the freedom to or the desire to put this type of sentiment, you know, recorded for for the, you know, all ages of time.
5: Yeah, I think uh, – because a lot of what we did while we were writing the LP and then as we started to record the LP, we were – because we couldn't play shows, we were releasing these, like, little cassette, like, you know, the most recent one with the Cheryl Crow cover is a two-song cassette that I'm releasing on my label, mm. and a lot of them are self-recorded. The B-side on that is uh, – I, I do the vocals on it, which I'm not the vocalist mm. in this band, but we, we just sort of – yeah, we, we put out some songs that we – maybe would have remained demos otherwise, you know? Um, hmm. So yeah, we, we definitely had a little bit more output than we would have. And there's a few songs in there that that went that way and we were able to explore. I think some of the dynamics were, you know, we explored a little more than we would have. Hmm, interesting. Let's talk about that Cheryl Crow uh, cover. Um, <laughs> it's a banger.
2: Um, and <laughs> uh, I know that you've also talked about you have a Beastie Boys cover coming out. Um, how do you pick your covers, and what what makes you want to do a cover? Because it's sort of that balance of you want to be. I've heard ones that have gone completely off the rails, and I'm like, I don't love this as a cover; it's just a different song. So you want it to right. be both familiar and new. You know, how do you pick Cheryl Crow, and, and what's your approach to these types of, of recordings? I
5: think I Iteria wanted to cover that even before this band started and again it was sort of that time we had during the pandemic and like hey let's let's amass some stuff for these like cassette releases that we wouldn't normally do Mm. um and i the cheryl Crow cover i think is like that's one of those songs where if you listen to the original the way it's like presented aesthetically might make you not like it because it has that country twang and some people don't appreciate that but it's still a really well-written and performed oh, song. it's a ripper so we kind of took that you know we slowed it down down to it a little and turned it not into a country song and then so a lot of people a lot of the feedback has been wow i didn't realize that was such a well-written song you know it's because the you know the aesthetic choices definitely can influence people's uh, opinion on it. That's so. That's how that one came about. We have we're about to do a whole bunch. We just once we did those two, they were just so much fun, and uh, we just decided we're just going to do more, and we're not being too picky about it. If anyone wants to do anything, we just say hey, sure, it's on the table. <laughs> and As long as our drummer can drummer can learn it and go record uh, drums, we can self record everything else. So he's going to record like he has a list of 40 right now wow. that he is learn that he's learning and he's going to go track them on his own to click tracks. And we're just going to cherry pick some and just leak them out little by little on some different releases.
2: You know, having a good cover back catalog makes for a great Halloween and or new
5: years type of set. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that it's going to be a blessing and a curse because we're not always practicing these covers because we're
3: not a cover <laughs> band not
5: we're not a cover band sure. but we're venturing on the territory of becoming half a cover band so i know when once we start playing shows there's going to be that hey play blah 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 and we're gonna go uh, we don't know it right now we don't know you it. know <laughs> we don't know it right now <laughs> yeah uh, yeah um no. all right well let's hear an original
2: uh next song is broke shit what's the story behind this one
5: um actually our drummer wrote the bass and drums to it this was one of those early ones uh i think we had written it right before ruben joined the band mm. and then ruben and i kind of like sprinkled the guitars on top um itaria's lyrics i can't speak for her but i know they're pretty politically driven some you know some lefty shit awesome all right well here we go broke shit rid of me
2: live on snacky tunes on hrn.org That was just Broke Shit, rid of me. Mike, I want to shift to the label a little bit, which we had talked about uh, at the, the top of our conversation. Um, what made you ultimately want to get this thing going again, especially since it was dormant pre-pandemic?
5: Um, It's something that was never... Like completely dormant. I would resurrect it throughout the years since the beginning of my old band Fight Amp. Um, I would resurrect it like intermittently to kind of like serve whatever purpose I needed it to serve. Sure. And then having the time during the pandemic to kind of look at it and take a step back just made me realize it was something that I could do. Uh, Especially with just getting like doing mostly cassettes. I'm not strictly a cassette label, but I make sure there's always like a cuz I have like, you know, I'll digitally just distribute records as well, mm-hmm. but I always want there to be like a physical artifact and a cassette is a very like affordable quick turnaround time way to do that. And if you're not into the cassette, you can always just listen to it on Spotify or whatever. Um so I guess that and just it was just like another creative project. I was sort of maxing myself out on my own band and a side project band. And I didn't want to like start a third band. So I wanted something involved with music that, you know, was outside of my own, you know, hearing riffs in my head and recording them and stuff. Mm. I mean, it's also
2: nice to
5: not always be
2: like, listen to my music, listen to my thing. It's nice to be supportive of the scene in the community.
5: Yeah. And that was like my way of doing that. It's, again, it's very limited capacity, like of what I can do. And it's like, it slowly is growing. Um, But yes, I can like take my friends bands, and hopefully soon people that I'm not even directly friends with and release stuff and have it be my way of contributing, you know,
2: Did you find it to be a good or different way to connect with people during the last year and change, especially as everyone was sort of isolated at home?
5: Yeah, and I guess I didn't really think about that at the time, but in retrospect, it it was like a really nice way to to be able to connect with people. Um, You know, that didn't feel forced or anything. Um,
2: Now, some of our older listeners might be hearing the word cassette and going, "I don't understand. I thought those died (laughs) out." But obviously, anyone who's been following certain scenes know that cassettes have not only Been back for a while, but are really in fashion, especially as limited editions and things like that. What do you love about the format?
5: um, And how does one even go about getting a cassette made these days? Well, so the number one thing, and you know, cassettes have these like detractors that just never. Like I recently listened to a podcast uh, on an- another podcast that I recently did called the Northeast Scene, mm. and they had uh, Matt from the Get Up Kids, mm. and I was the I was the previous guest, and they brought up cassettes on that, and he was just like, "Oh, what is the point? Don't even bother." And I like I get that notion, but my rebuttal to that is always um, the cassette is in a world of digital streaming and like a lot of releases don't even come out on any physical format often. Mm. So if you can make a physical artifact and it's affordable to make and affordable to sell, and it's not backed up in this insane world of like where vinyl is right now where the wait times are a year and Amazon's flood in the market and all these things, it's very like for the common person. Mm. Like you can, you can still make them for cheap at least relatively, and sell them for cheap. Relatively, um, as vinyl prices are skyrocketing now. I'm saying this and knock on wood. This could change. I'm, I mean, my my manufacturer just told me prices are going up. So <laughs> because there's a worldwide uh, cassette shells shortage right now. Sure, go figure. I, yeah, I have to
2: imagine um, that there's one depot of cassette shells. And it's just slowly yeah. dwindling <laughs> as oh, no. as more and more indie yeah. bands and 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 punk rockers put out cassettes. But it's great to have something yeah. physical. It's so interesting to see how vinyl
5: has now swung back into be such a demand. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. It it just surpassed CDs, I think, for the first time ever. Which I'm surprised it actually took that long. But,
2: yeah, I mean, who's um, who's buying a CD yeah.
5: these days? Yeah, I know. <laughs>
2: Well, that might change too. So. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, we can't make records and we can't make tapes. We're going back to CDs. But I mean, CDs just never have had or will the same aesthetic as a cassette tape or or an LP.
5: No, I think what's keeping them in, in, uh, in demand are the fact that people still – there's still a, enough people driving cars from the 90s and 2000s that uh, can – load a cd into that cd player i
2: mean honestly up until two years ago i had a tape player had all my my high school tapes just ripping them all the new tapes and everything it was great now i now it's i'm, I'm tape tape deck list but you know that's what ebay's for
5: yeah <laughs> Some, somebody's got to start manufacturing those again i think they do but it's kind of like a boutique so. oh yeah it's like oh cool a
2: twenty five hundred dollar tape player Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, cool, yeah. Cool.
5: yeah I, I see him on Sweetwater, and you know I don't want to click on anything because I know they'll start texting. <laughs> me hey,
2: man, day. just want to make sure you get <laughs> everything you need. It's like, yeah, bud, thanks, Phil from Sweetwater. <laughs> um, so as as we head, you know, into the fall, out of the summer, things like that, and we're sort of in this, you know, tours are starting again, bands are playing again, but who knows what's going to happen. Um, Rid of Me, you going on the road, you're playing local shows. What's the Philly scene looking like as far as uh, live music?
5: Yeah, we have a uh, – nothing is announced yet, but I think we have something like seven shows booked right nice. now that are all – I think our first local show is going to be announced, I think, tomorrow. Hmm. Uh, so, that yeah, that'll be up. That'll be up uh, by the time by this time airs. This comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then – I believe that's still going to be limited capacity because it's in August, and then um, I'm pretty sure. And well, if that's up by the time this airs, it's uh, August 20th at Ortlieb's. Um, oh, shout out Ortlieb's! Yeah, love it. And uh, we have so our record's going to come out, and I believe the release date is set for late November. So I think. We have, like, a mini, like, regional thing from uh, D.C. to Boston, like, four shows booked. Uh, That's going to be our, like, mini record release run. Uh, We have some random shows, uh, some DIY shows, like, in Richmond, Virginia and stuff like that. But they're all – there's, like, this hesitancy Mm. happening right now. So I'm, like, being told, like, hey, like, everything's together, but we're going to kind of wait and see how these – case numbers are looking and all, that's that's what i'm hearing at the moment so i guess we'll just it's just a wait and see again. i hate it i i know <laughs> especially after what we all just went through the only you
2: know? the only benefit would probably be my bank account to get refunds for all the tickets i bought for the the fall or winter but outside of that <laughs> yeah
5: i am i'm, I'm oh. not looking
2: forward to shows getting canceled again
5: yeah i man just i don't know i just hope people do what they got to do to turn it around. Yeah. I mean, look, if, if
2: it takes people to, you know, be like, I can't go see this band. If I don't get the vaccination shot to get a shot, I will, you know.
5: Yeah. I I just, just please get vaccinated. So we don't have to go through what we just went through again. We don't have to, we wouldn't have to anyway.
2: uh, All right. Time for one last song. Uh, We have dealing. What's the story behind this one?
5: Um. This was one of the la- – I think it's the last one that came together uh, while we were writing our LP. So this, again, another live version of this song. And thus far, this song is unreleased and will be on our LP that comes out in, I think, November. And I know Itaria's lyrics. This is, as far as I can tell, one that is definitely very influenced by being isolated during the pandemic. Mm,
2: wow. Well maybe it gives people some hope but listen mike thank you so much for the time if people want to check out rid of me or get some cassettes from knife hit records where can they go
5: uh just knifehitsrecords.com beautiful
2: all right well thank you so much hopefully uh things line up and we're back in philly for the holidays maybe we can even catch you guys playing live And uh, I want to also thank our food guests. Uh, We have another new episode next week. But first, we have dealings here live on StackyTunes on hrn.org. We'll see you next time.
3: about food we talk about music with musical dudes
2: finger on the pulse snacky tunes snacky tunes is powered by simple cast thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you keep in touch at heritage radio slash subscribe